good morning. Welcome to Sunday School at Soul Bible Church. So we're going to go ahead and start out with our January memory verse for this month, Matthew 16, 18 through 19. And uh, something that often helps me as I memorize a verse is kind of pulling it apart and identifying the different parts of it. And so we start out here with Christ saying, I say unto thee, and what does he say? Well, there are three main parts here. First of all, he changes his name. Thou art Peter. And then he gives some promises, three promises. Promises are, upon this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And then the third part, we have prediction. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So we got change of a name, and then we've got prediction, and then promise. A couple of interesting things here. There is actually a play on words in Greek. Thou art Peter. The Greek word for Peter is Petros, and it says, upon this rock, and the Greek word for rock is Petra. So thou art Petros, and upon this Petra, I will build my church. So kind of making a connection between Peter and, and uh, rock there. Um, another interesting thing is in verse 19, that those last two sentences there, whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed. That's a very interesting uh, verb construction in Greek. You actually have a future tense, shall be, but it's actually future plus a perfect passive. So shall have been bound and shall have been loosed. So we have this future idea, future action that will already have been completed. So whatever you declare to be bound on earth will already have been bound in heaven, and whatever you declare loosed on earth shall already have been loosed in heaven. It's a very, very rare construction, but very, very unique for this passage. So let's all say this together. We'll read it twice, and then we'll see if we can say it with Matthew 16, 18 through 19. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Okay, let's read it again, but if you can look up without looking at it, try to do that. Matthew 16, 18 through 19. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
Matthew 16, 18 through 19. Okay, try to close your bulletin if you can, and try to say it from memory. Now, since I'm up here, and I'm under pressure, <coughs> I'm exempt from that rule. I will peek if I have to. Matthew 16, 18 through 19. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Matthew 16, 18 through 19. So again, we have a name change, thou art Peter, and then we've got some promises, upon this rock I will build my church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give unto these the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and then we got prediction, whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. All right, we are looking at the Ten Commandments in our Sunday school time. And last week we uh, started an introductory lesson, but we did not quite finish. So hopefully today, this morning, we can finish um, that up. But uh, before I begin, I just wanted to um, say how, how thankful I am for Soul Bible Church and being able to be here. And uh, when my wife and I uh, came, we were hoping to uh, be a lot more involved than, than we are and to be present. But again, the Lord has just had different plans for us as he has for all of this year, been changing our plans. And um, uh, my wife is just very, very sick and very just uh, really can't, can't get up to do really anything. And so um, uh, I'm doing all the, all the cooking, all the caring for Sophia, putting her down, feeding her, uh, getting her up from her naps, and um, making sure my wife is, is taken care of. And, and so uh, we are not able to, to be um, in church as much as, as we would like to, just because of our, our circumstances. But we are here in spirit if we are not here in body. But we are so thankful for all that you've offered to do and, and your uh, requests for how she's doing and, and uh, the gifts you've given. So we just want to express, express our appreciation for that. Last week, we started out with uh, some memory devices for memorizing the Ten Commandments. Let's review those really quickly. First commandment is... What is it? No other gods. Commandment number two is what? You shall not make any graven images with your scissors or with anything else. Number three is your words. You shall not what? Take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This looks like a W standing for words. Commandment number four has eight words in it. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Commandment number five, I holding up your hand to your parents, you to honor your father and mother. Commandment number six, we have a person right here and we have a gun right here. What is this commandment? You shall not kill. Uh, commandment number seven, we have the word for, this is the uh, symbol for A, 
and it takes two people to commit adultery. And then we have commandment number eight, and when you do what, you end up in jail. When you steal, you shall not steal. Commandment number nine, you have five people over here and four people over here, and what are they doing? They are bearing false witness. You shall not bear false witness. And then commandment number 10, you shall not covet. I want, want, want. Okay? So those are the 10 commandments. I hope that helps you. Last week, we um, looked at a little bit of the context in which uh, God gave these 10 commandments. Uh, we talked about <laughs> different kinds of law that we find in the Pentateuch. We have... Let's actually review them. What are the three kinds, the three divisions, the three kinds of law that we find? What are they? First one is, you remember? Three divisions. First one is civil law. Okay, and what does civil law govern? Okay, it governs the Jewish society. You got all these rules that really don't specifically apply to the church today. And then what's the second division? Okay, think of Leviticus and you got the ceremonial law. Okay, and what does that talk about? The sacrificial system. Okay, and then you have moral law. And we define moral law as these eternal and righteous standards that govern our relationship with God and with others. And that is the category under which the Ten Commandments falls. This is moral law. These are absolute, uh, eternal standards that govern our relationship with God and others. And then we started um, asking questions about these Ten Commandments. You remember Kipling's poem about these six honest serving men. Their names are what and why and when and how and where and who. And so we asked, where do the Ten Commandments come from? And where do they come from? From God. They come from God himself. Exodus 20, verse 1. And who spoke? God spoke all of these words. And this is what he said. And then we asked, who? Well, who is this God who is speaking? Okay, Exodus 20, verse 2 identifies God identifies himself and first of all he identifies himself by his name what is his name he says I am the Lord I am Yahweh the self-existent eternal God in distinction from all of these other gods that they they were familiar with um, in Egypt and he says I am the Lord what are the next two words? Your God. So he is Yahweh. He identifies himself as Yahweh. He identifies himself as your God, the sovereign deity overall. And the third way he identifies himself, he says, I am the Lord your God. Who, what did he do? He says, I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I am your savior. I am the one who has saved you out of the land of Egypt. So God identifies himself as Yahweh. He identifies himself as your God. And he identifies himself thirdly 
as the Savior. Now, I think the order here is very important. Do the Israelites have to keep the Ten Commandments in order for God to save them from Egypt? No. God saved them from Egypt before they even knew what the Ten Commandments were. He has already saved them from Egypt, and now he is giving them these Ten, ten Commandments. He's brought them out, and then he presents these Ten Commandments to them. He has already poured out his grace and favor upon the Israelites, even though they have been rebellious, and they have continued to be stubborn and rebellious. We've seen the complaining that they had in the wilderness as God brought them to this point in Sinai. God saves the Israelites from Egypt before he gives them the law. And that's an important thing to notice because it's a natural inclination for us to think that we need to work to earn God's salvation. But that's not how it works. The Israelites did nothing to earn God's salvation from Egypt. God brought them out of Egypt simply because he loved them and God was faithful to the promises he made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. When we go to the book of Deuteronomy, God explains the reason that he, that he chose and saved the Israelites. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8, especially verse 7, explain the reasons, explains things that are not reasons he chose Israel. Verse 7 of Deuteronomy 7. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you. Okay, this is the reason he did not choose you. He did not choose you because you were more in number, because you were numerous, more numerous than other people, for you were the least of all people. The only reason that God gives for choosing them was that God loved them, and God was faithful to them. God first delivers the Israelites from Egypt, and then he reveals to them these ten major commandments that they were to follow. And this is the same way our salvation works today. Today, there is nothing we do to earn God's favor. But God loves us, and he wants to deliver you from the power and the penalty of your sins. And he has provided, he has provided our salvation through the death of Jesus Christ. But just like, just like the Israelites had to accept God's salvation, they had to believe God's words and follow Moses <laughs> out of Egypt. So we too must accept God's salvation through Jesus Christ accept the saving work he has done by trusting in him to be our Savior. So the Ten Commandments, they come from Yahweh, the Lord, who is our God, and he is our Savior. But if the Ten Commandments, they do not, they do not provide a way to earn God's favor. We do not follow the commandments to earn our salvation or to earn God's favor. So why did God give them? Why do we have the Ten Commandments? What is their purpose? And that's another one of our questions. Why? 
Why do we have the Ten Commandments? Why did God give us these Ten Commandments? Well, now that we are saved, now that God has delivered us, we are obligated to keep his commandments. The Westminster Shorter Catechism is probably one of the most famous catechisms, Protestant catechisms. The first of those catechisms asks the question, the basic question, what is the chief end of man? And the answer to that, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is what? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Well, there are some questions in the Westminster Shorter Catechism that are a little more unfamiliar. And one of the questions asks about the preface to the Ten Commandments, those first two verses in Exodus chapter 20. And asks, what does that preface teach us? And the answer is, the preface to the Ten Commandments teacheth us that because God is the Lord and our God and Redeemer, therefore we are bound to keep all his commandments. God is, God is Yahweh, he is our God, he is our Redeemer, and now we are obligated to keep his commandments. In the previous chapter, Exodus 19, God highlights the fact that he is speaking to these Israelites, these people, whom he bore on eagles' wings, he talks about, and he brought them to himself. He highlights the fact that he is speaking to those who he has saved, to those whom he has redeemed, like those of us who have trusted in Christ. God has saved and redeemed from sin those of us who are believers, and the Ten Commandments are given to those of us to whom God extends his saving favor. So we're going to look at several, several functions, three major functions of the Ten Commandments, of the law that God has given to us. The first function is that the law, the Ten Commandments, show us our need for the gospel. We need God's salvation. We need the gospel. And this is how the law say, how the law helps us. It does not save us, but it shows us our need for a savior, of one who can save us. We need a savior, but we cannot save ourselves by the law. Galatians chapter 3 verses 23 verses uh, 23 and 25. Actually this is verse Verse 24, the law was our schoolmaster or our tutor to bring us to Christ. Galatians 3, 24 specifically teaches that one of the functions of the law is like a schoolmaster to bring us, to show us our need for Christ. So how does the law show us our need for a Savior? How does it do this? Well, it shows us that we are consistently violating the law. We are consistently breaking these commandments. And, and we cannot save ourselves by keeping the law, because we're always breaking it. 
And so God gave us the law. One of the reasons he gave us the law is to show us that we cannot keep the law on our own. We are guilty before him. Breaking even one commandment makes us worthy of God's judgment. James 2.10 Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of the whole thing. And Paul writes that, that through God's commandments, sin became exceedingly sinful. It shows us that, that those actions and even our thoughts within us are so exceedingly sinful they deserve God's judgment. And Paul explains in Romans 7 that the law actually incites in us. It stirs up the desire for sin within us. Romans 7, Paul explains that if there was no law, he would have not known what it is to covet. Thou shalt not covet. What commandment is that? You remember? Number 10. Thou shalt not covet. He says that, that sin used that commandment not to covet to produce coveting within him, all kinds of coveting within him. And so when the commandment came, sin became alive, and he died. It's, it's perhaps like when you are, take the illustration of house-sitting for someone. Do you know what it is to house-sit? Someone's going to be gone, and so they want you to stay in their house for a while, just to make sure that everything is okay. They'll be leaving, they want you to stay at the house. And they tell you before they leave, okay, you can use anything in the house, use anything in the fridge, you can use any food you want to, you can use all the rooms, except for one room, okay? The room in the corner. You cannot go in that room for any reason. Off limits, do not enter that room. Very, very important, don't go in that room, okay? Now when they leave, which room do you want to go into? You want to go in the room you can't go into, right? That's kind of the function of the law. It actually incites desire in us to do those things. And Paul explains that in Romans 7. I would have not known what coveting was that the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin took opportunity through that commandment and produced in me coveting of all kinds. The law intensifies, actually intensifies, our desire to sin. And by our consistent violation of the law, it shows us our need for someone who can save us from that power of sin and from the penalty our sin deserves. So the law points us to one who has kept the law perfectly and consistently. Jesus Christ is the one, the only one, who has kept the law perfectly with no sin whatsoever. Romans 10.4 Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Jesus led a completely sinless life. And when a person believes in Christ, God imputes to that sinner Christ's righteousness. And God imputes to Christ the sinner's sin. So that when we stand before God, we stand before him in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Christ does not, God does not see our sin, 
but he sees Christ's righteousness instead. This is the doctrine of justification. God's righteous declaration that we, though ungodly in ourselves, stand entirely righteous before him because of Christ's imputed righteousness to us. Christ has kept the law for us. And by imputation of his righteousness, he saves us from the penalty of sin, taking that penalty upon himself. And so this order is very important. First, there is salvation. And then there is the law. The law points to the way of salvation. It does not provide salvation. The giving of the law begins with a declaration of salvation. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The salvation has already been accomplished. There is no contradiction between law and gospel. The law is for those who are already redeemed. It points to the way of salvation. Because we have been redeemed, then we keep the law. So God gave us the law, first of all, to show us our need for the gospel. And it highlights our violation of God's righteousness. Now, Benjamin Franklin is one of the, considered one of the founding fathers of the United States. His picture appears on our $100 bill. He was, um, the United States declared declaration their Declaration of Independence from Britain in 1776. And Benjamin Franklin died only 14 years later, in 1790. So he was uh, an elderly man by the time our War for Independence, but he was very crucial uh, serving as an ambassador to France to raise funds for our fight for independence against the British. Very, very highly respected man um, in his day and still is. Now, Benjamin Franklin was not a true believer in Jesus Christ, doubted Christ's divine nature, but he was heavily influenced by the Bible, by Christianity. He was not a consistently moral man, but he did value and encourage moral behavior. But when Benjamin Franklin was still a young man, I think he was in his 20s, he began this project, this very ambitious project to reach a state of moral perfection. And so he made a list of 13 virtues that he wanted to perfect in his life. Um, these, these virtues were temperance, silence, order, resolution, frugality, industry, sincerity, justice, moderation, cleanliness, tranquility, chastity, and humility. Okay, a lot of those words are kind of older words that we don't use anymore, but those were, that was his list of 13 virtues. And what he was gonna do every week, he was gonna focus on one virtue. Okay, this week is going to be humility. I'm gonna focus on being a humble person. And he would do that in a cycle. Do a different virtue every week and then begin it again. Try to improve himself in each area. And as he did this, he journaled his progress. He recorded how he was doing. He noted all of his failures in a book. And Benjamin Franklin 
was actually very disappointed with the results. And uh, let me give you his own words. This is what he said about his project. Hugh said, I was surprised to find myself so much fuller of faults than I had imagined. I was surprised to find, find myself, I'm a pretty bad person. I've got a lot of problems. He said that he never arrived at the perfection he had been so ambitious of obtaining. But he fell far, far short of it. What Franklin discovered was that the law, the law was apparent through that list of virtues that he created. Chastity. Thou shalt not commit adultery. He discovered that the law revealed and exposed his sinfulness. So I found myself so much fuller of faults than I had imagined. It exposed his inability to resist temptation of transgressing the law. But unfortunately, in Franklin's case, it did not point him to the Redeemer. It did not point him to the one. It did not turn him to the one who is able to fully, completely, and ultimately save him from his sins. So God gave us the law to point us to Christ, the one who fulfilled the law for us and who saves us from, uh, from the penalty for violating the law. But there's a second reason that God gave the Ten Commandments. First reason, what's the first reason? It shows us our need for a Savior. The second reason, the law helps us know how to reflect God's character and to thus to please and glorify him. The law reveals what God is like. It reveals God's character. It tells us what pleases him. Honor your father and mother. It tells us what displeases him. You shall not covet. And so when we keep the law, we are reflecting God's character. And we glorify him and please him. But we need to make sure that we, we understand something here. Keeping the law does not make us right with God. Keeping the law does not make us more valuable or more worthy to God. It does not do that. It does not give us merit to him. Keeping the law is an expression of our love for God. We express our love to God by keeping his laws. That is how we express our love for him and our faith in him. Loving God expresses itself in obeying God. These ideas are, are very often closely connected um, in the book of Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 through 13, God requires us to walk in all his ways, to obey his commands, and to love him, and to serve him. So we have this idea of loving God, and walking in his ways, and serving him. We have a, a Deuteronomy 11, verse 1, commands us that we must love Yahweh, and the result is that we, we keep his charge, his statutes, his ordinances, his commandments. The obedience follows as a result of the love. Later on in uh, 
chapter 11, verse 13. We are to love Yahweh and to serve him. 11.22, we are required to love Yahweh and walk in his ways. <coughs> this idea of loving God and obeying his commandments are always hand in hand. Obeying God always follows a love for God. So obeying the Ten Commandments, it is an expression of our love for God. And the law helps us know how to reflect God's character. It's a reflection of God's character. So when we keep those laws, we are reflecting what God is like. They reveal to us God's character and his attributes. Each of the Ten Commandments reveals something separate about God. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. God does not share his glory with anybody or anything else. Commandment number two, you shall not make any graven images. God is spirit, and he is the creator, and he refuses to be worshipped by physical images in the form of what he has created. Commandment number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. God is holy, and we must treat him with honor and respect by using his name reverently. Commandment number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God is a working God and a resting God, and we must submit to his sovereignty over the events of each day. Commandment number five, honor your father and mother. God is a God of authority who has bestowed authority on mankind, including the authority of parents. Commandment number six, you shall not kill. God is the creator and giver of life, and he is the one who is sovereign over death and over life. Commandment number seven, you shall not commit adultery. God is a God of purity and of faithfulness. Commandment number eight, you shall not steal. God is our provider, and all things ultimately belong to him. He chooses whom to give thanks. Commandment number nine, you shall not bear false witness. That teaches us that God is a God of truth, not a falsehood. Commandment number 10, you shall not covet. God is a God of providence. God is trustworthy to provide our needs. The Ten Commandments reveal God's character. They reveal what God is like. And when we obey them, we are reflecting that character of God. So God has given us the Ten Commandments to help us to, to know how to reflect God's character. Because the Ten Commandments reveal his character. And so I want to look at some implications, two implications of this idea that the Ten Commandments are a reflection of God's character. The first implication is that when we violate the commandments, we are attacking the character of God. Because we are, we are doing something that offends his character, that is not like God. We are acting contrary to God's character. We claim to be a follower of God, but by our actions we say the opposite when we break the commandments. We are not acting on our belief that God is holy, commandment number three, that he is sovereign, commandment number six, commandment number ten, 
many are involved in that. His sovereignty is involved in several commandments. That he possesses all authority, commandment number five. That he is the giver of life, again, commandment number six. That he is pure and faithful, commandment number seven. That he is our provider, commandment number ten. That he is the God of truth, commandment number nine. That he is a God of providence, again, commandment number ten. When we violate the commandments, we are attacking the character of God. The second implication is that the law is eternally binding. God does not change. His character does not change. His character always remains the same. And since the law is a reflection of God's character, his unchanging character, the law is eternally binding on us as well. And we see a repetition of most of the Ten Commandments in the New Testament as well, uh, reinforcing this idea that these Ten Commandments are still binding on believers today. These are, will flow out of our love for God. So we're looking at the reasons that God has given us the Ten Commandments. What's the first reason? The law shows us what? Our need for a Savior. The second reason, the law helps us to what? To understand God's character and to please Him. Do those things that glorify Him. And the third and final reason that we will look at today is the law helps to restrain sin in society. The law reveals God's will for how man should live. Every man is created in God's image, and deep down inside, his conscience tells him that there is a God to whom he is accountable to. And so the Ten Commandments reveal to man what God requires of him, and it serves, it does serve as a deterrent to sin. It does sometimes stir up the desire for sin, but it does have an effect to restrain sin as well. Immediately after God stated the Ten Commandments to all of the Israelites, the people were terrified, you'll remember. But Moses told them that God came and spoke to them so that they would fear him and so that they would not sin. It was part of the attention of the law was to restrain sin among the Israelites. So these are some of the reasons that God has given us the Ten Commandments. It shows us our need for salvation and need for a Savior. It informs us how to reflect God's character. And it works to restrain sin in society. So we've seen where the Ten Commandments have come from. Where do the Ten Commandments come from? They come from God. We've seen the description of this God. He is Yahweh. He is our God. And he is the Savior who brought them out of the land of Egypt. And we've seen why God gave the Ten Commandments. God, our Savior, has given the Ten Commandments to reveal his character 
and to draw us to himself. Now briefly, in conclusion, I just want to look at five possible responses to God's law. One conclusion, one response, we can be apathetic. This is the amoral man. Uh, doesn't matter. I don't care. Yeah, so what? Ten Commandments. Okay, that's apathetic. Or we can actively oppose it. That is the natural man. Actively opposing and resisting the law. Another response, we can be self-righteous about it. The legally moral man. This was the response of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10 and Luke 18. He claimed that he had kept the commandments from his youth. Christ said, keep the Ten Commandments. And he said, oh, I've, I've kept all those commandments from my youth. What do I have to do still? We can be self-righteous about it. That's a self-righteous response. We can become frustrated, unsuccessful in keeping the law. That's a good place to be. Because that can lead to the solution, which is Christ. Benjamin Franklin found out he was unsuccessful in keeping the law. In his case, it didn't lead him to Christ, but many times it does lead a person to Christ. But the final, the fifth response that we can have, we can love and delight in God's law. This is where we want to be. We do not keep the law to gain favor with God. We do not keep the law to maintain, to gain or maintain our salvation. We do not keep the commandments to earn our way to heaven, to earn brownie points with God. We keep the law because we love the giver of the law. And we want to reflect his character and be more like him. Let's close with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your commandments that reveal your character to your life. We pray that we would continue to be more and more like you. We would, that we would reflect your character. We pray these things in Jesus' name.